You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Well, good evening. It's a joy to be back at Revolution Church. And uh, just it caught me by surprise that when he said four-minute break, that we, you preach first here. I'm used to the other way where you preach at the end of the service, kind of, and so kind of threw me uh, for a loop there. If you will, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Starts starting to feel like home here. I just, uh, everyone here, friends and family, uh, to me, I see most of you at the coffee shop or something like that. A lot of people think I own the place because I sit there all the time and drink coffee. They got me on a limit now. I think they say I can only have five cups a day. With, if not, I have to pay double. So that's my, my world, is the coffee shop. The book of Romans has been in the forefront of my mind for the last, really, several months. Uh, over at Grace, we've been working our way verse by verse through Paul's letter to the saints in Rome. I think at this point we are about 35 to 40 sermons in. And... Uh, you start to feel good about yourself at some point, thinking so many sermons. And I talked to John Gowdy uh, over at Temple, and he said that it, he preached through the entire book in about 40 sermons. And he was talking about all the commitment that he made and the hours spent in study. And he found a collection of all his CDs at Goodwill Bookstore for a dollar. All that time spent in his sermons. And so it kind of humbles you to think through that. So we're in chapter 8 right now at the church. Uh, 35 to 40 sermons in, and it's really just been a joy and a blessing uh, to have the opportunity to preach through Paul's letter to, uh, to the Romans, and it's just been edifying to me and hopefully to our congregation and hopefully for you guys this evening. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is a particular section that uh, stood out to me early on, uh, especially verses 8 through 15 that we'll look at this evening. But in verses 1 through 7, Paul opens the letter, sort of his introduction kind of introduces himself, gives the nature of the message that he proclaimed. He tells us that he was a slave, that he was an apostle, a servant of God, that he was commissioned to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, this good news concerning Jesus, as you see in the text there, the good news that we love, the gospel that turns sinners into saints. His mission is seen in verse 5. His mission was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What a mission statement that is. Then in verse 8 through 15, he continues on in this introduction. And Paul sort of opens up his, his heart to us. And that's why I've titled this The Heart of Ministry. For it's in this section that we see Paul's desires, uh, his longings, what he loves, what he expects what it is that motivates him as he serves in the ministry, if you will. And I personally found this, this section is somewhat obscure, yet so helpful to me as a pastor, and hopefully it will be to you, as I think the principles here are applied to all of us, because each of us are called to serve in some sort of ministry. In John MacArthur's commentary, he points out that people serve the Lord for, for, or from many motives, some good, some bad. He says that some serve from a legalistic mindset, thinking that maybe their service will somehow earn them favor with God. Others, 
serve for prestige and esteem that often comes with leadership. He says that some serve for the sake of appearance, to look good before others. Then he notes that some even serve for the sake of financial gain, and we see that all over television, certainly. He says those motives for service are merely external, and no matter how orthodox or helpful to people that service might be, unless it is done out of a sincere desire to please and glorify God, it is not spiritual nor acceptable to him. I thought that was pretty blunt there, pretty straightforward. But Paul's heart was certainly acceptable before God. And I believe it serves as an example for all of us this evening, regardless of your spiritual giftedness, uh, regardless of what area of ministry that you find yourself serving in. What we find here is what a heart with a passion for the advancement of the gospel is to look like. And so before Paul dives into this letter to the Romans and unpacks all this robust theology and all this doctrine and all this stuff that we so often find in the book of Romans, he first shares his heart. And I just think that it's so key that we, we capture this as we read the book of Romans, that he begins by, by revealing his heart. And so with that in mind, I want to ask that you stand again with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 15. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Spirit-inspired word says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul says, I, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Paul and just this, this moment we have to capture his heart, not only for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission of the gospel, but the heart for your people, the people who have been rescued by the gospel and the eagerness that he has to share with them. And may we as your people this evening, may we be encouraged by this, may we be instructed by the heart that we find here. May we be conformed to this example. I know there are so many people in this room that serve faithfully in so many different ways. And I pray that even... Uh, for them, that they would even be instructed further of how to, to bring you glory in our service as we seek the building of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There's an old saying that maybe you're familiar with that goes something like this. No one will care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Again, we could critique that statement all we want. But I think this is the principle that kind of plays out in Paul's life and his ministry. What made Paul such an effective minister was not so much his, his profound giftedness in teaching and preaching and, and unpacking theology that he was so great at, but it was his heart for people, his love for people. You could take any letter written by Paul and you could see this demonstrated if you're looking for it. Before Paul ever instructed a group of people, before he ever brought correction even to the Corinthians and that harsh rebuke, he cared for them. He loved them. In every one of Paul's letters, he was transparent about his desire to, 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 to sacrificially serve them in some way. On the surface, sometimes it even, you even sense as you're reading this, this is some form of flattery, just words he's throwing out there, but that was far from the case. His desire was sincere. Uh, his heart was humble, and his motives were pure. Just think about the letter. You don't have to turn there, but to the Philippians, he said, to the Philippian believers, he says, I always hold you in my heart. I mean, can you imagine being able to say that about someone? I always hold you in my heart. He says, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm not sure I've ever felt that way about anyone. He says, I always hold you in my heart. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about how he wants to die in one sense, to, to go if that means to be with Christ, but yet I will stay, he says, if it means the ability to serve you more. And that's how he felt about the Philippians. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And that was his heart for them. And so as we see in our text this evening here in Romans chapter 1, this is much more than just words uttered from the apostles' lips. This was the mark of his life. This was the mark of his ministry. The Romans, who basically did not know at this point much about Paul, they never met him, most of them anyway, they could have asked anyone who knew Paul, hey, this Paul, this Paul guy, this, he claims to be a servant of Jesus Christ. He claims that he really wants to come here to Rome to serve us. He says he cares about us. He says he loves us. That he prays for us. Is this really the nature of his ministry? And anyone who knew Paul would be able to affirm this is exactly who Paul is. This is the mark of his life. So we could say that Paul had the heart of a pastor, the zeal of an evangelist, and the mission and the commitment of an apostle. And so what I want to do this evening is just spend the rest of our time looking at these eight verses. And I really just want us to kind of come close and sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul, this slave of Jesus Christ, this man who was called to be an apostle, set apart by God for the sake of the gospel, and learn from his example. That we could all kind of capture what the heart of Christian ministry and Christian service, true ministry, what it looks like. And in doing so, I want us to honor the spirit of, that we find in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so it, it is okay to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul because this is certainly captured by the example of Jesus Christ. Number one, and I had outlines printed for every single one of you this evening. I even took off the Grace Community logo so I wouldn't offend Dave. Uh, 
then I forgot them at the house. And so you're going to have to handwrite them on your outline, but I think they're going to be on your screen this evening. We're looking at the, the heart of, of true ministry. Number one, the heart of ministry is marked by a gospel-driven, gospel-driven gratitude. Notice in verse 8 that Paul begins with a compliment. And this is, this is not something just to pass over here. The very first words out of Paul's mouth here, they're, they're positive words of affirmation. Notice he, he starts with the word first, and this doesn't mean like the first of more to follow, but he, he's saying, I want to begin by saying this. There's no number two here. I just want, simply want to begin by stating this. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for, for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout all the world. You really just stop and think, what a positive, uplifting, encouraging way. That kind of sounded like, what's that, Caleb right there, didn't I? It sounded like that. That's not what I was meaning there. But it's what a positive way to begin and how encouraged the Romans must have felt to read this, to, to receive this message. But even more sincere was Paul in stating this. Paul is saying to them that you have this reputation, Roman believers, of being authentic Christians. Uh, this is, this is the type of reputation here, not, not that of church troubles or anything like that. Paul's not saying, I've, I've heard about uh, all the church splits you've had or anything like that. But he's saying something positive here. There was a reputation that they had. Did you hear about the faith of the people in Rome? The, the fruitfulness that they had. About the new believers that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was this type of positive things that Paul was hearing about the believers in Rome as he would travel through the Greco-Roman world of that day. These are reports that would come to him that was filling his heart with gratitude. And he stops here and just thanks God for these reports. Keep in mind, Paul, the one writing this letter, he was born a citizen of Rome. And no doubt that as he would hear these reports from his hometown, it would be an encouragement for him. And again, as you think about Rome, this was no footnote in history. Rome was the capital city of the world in that day. All roads really led to Rome. It was a place of great importance, power, culture, military might, prosperity. There was a sense of pride that was held by everyone who lived in Rome. As you travel throughout the world, if people find out you're from Rome, you're kind of known as the elite of the area or whatever. But they also had this reputation for Rome was this cesspool of iniquity. It was full of wickedness, paganism, idolatry, immorality, all these things. In fact, history tells us that the emperor of Rome at that time made life very difficult for believers. Yet in the middle of, of all of this was this growing and thriving group of Christians, this group of people who were living out their faith. They were open about their faith. And so Paul, Paul notices that, and he, he's capturing that in this letter and he stops by stating, I thank God for you. I thank God for the testimony that is coming from you. Paul was filled with this sense of gratitude for the work of the gospel in Rome. And if you just notice as, as Paul turns and thanks God for that, he's noted, noting here that God is the author of every spiritual good that is going on in the, their lives. He recognized that the fact their faith was being proclaimed was merely just a work of God's grace put on display in their life. And I pray that would be true of you and I. Not only that we would be known for our faith being made public as 
the Christians in Rome were, that we would cultivate this heart of gratitude that was exemplified in the Apostle Paul, that we would have this sensitive eye to the evidence of grace as we see it in others, and that we would take the time to stop and compliment those things. And again, this was the attitude of the Apostle Paul. He had this gospel-driven gratitude for the believers in Rome. Secondly, in the outline, we want to note that the heart of ministry is marked by persistent prayer. And this really should come as no surprise for us as we read the New Testament. We see this all over, that Paul was a man devoted to prayer. In verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul prayed for the Romans, and he did so constantly. And just in case that they would doubt his, his affection and sincerity in, in saying that, he says, I am so sincere that I call God in as my witness. He says, I'm telling you the truth. In other words, God knows that this is true, what Paul is saying here. And again, just be on the receiving end of that. To, how do you think that made the Roman Christians feel? What an encouragement it would be for them to hear that Paul, this busy apostle, was always praying for them. And I was just reminded what, what an encouragement it is for us when we get word that someone is praying for us. On the other hand, for us, what we often do is we, hey, brother, I'm praying for you, and we, we just lie. We don't do it. It's not the case for Paul in regard to the Romans. He wanted them to know that he was really praying for them. And so let's not underestimate the value of prayer when it comes to the spiritual good of others. For praying for those who we are ministering to, that we're serving. In this example, it seems if, if Paul could have said, well, things are going good in Rome. I want to direct my prayers elsewhere. I want to focus over here because things aren't going so hot over there. But instead, Paul, it, it seems as if he's just saying, no, I, I must pray. I, I must pray that the gospel work would continue in Rome that it won't be handed over to the work of the flesh, that it will just continue to abound and increase to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heart of ministry, whatever that may be for you, must be marked by persistent prayer. So we're looking at gospel-driven, gratitude, persistent prayer. Thirdly, the heart of ministry is marked by sacrificial service. I would argue that this is a heart that, that looks for opportunities to serve others. A heart that continually prays that God would just open up new doors for ministry. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. He says, when I pray for you, here, here's the content of my prayer. Actually, verse 10. He says, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. For I long to see you. J.B. Moffat translates it like this. He says, I am homesick for you. Paul prayed for the Roman Christians so much. He thought about them so much. It was as if he already knew, knew them. But he had this deep-rooted desire deep in his heart to get to these believers. He wanted to get to Rome. He, he longed for them. He was longing for them. This is the idea of wanting something so bad that your heart hurts. You ever wanted something so bad that your heart hurts? That's the idea here. 
That's where Paul was. Why did he want this so bad? Verse 9, because Paul serves God with his spirit in the gospel of his son. And this word serve here is the same idea as worship. John MacArthur said, the greatest worship a believer can offer to God is a devoted, pure, heartfelt ministry. And so for Paul to get to Rome, this passion that he had to get there was not just another day in the office for him. This wasn't motivated by this desire to be recognized or any sense of earning favor with God. He was motivated by this deep desire simply to serve God, to worship God. And the way he was going to demonstrate this was by sacrificially serving others in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. We see this played out more as Paul bears his heart in verse 11. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And so he wanted to go to impart some spiritual gift. And when we talk about spiritual gift here, he's not saying, hey, I want to bring the gift of tongues to you or anything like that. He's using spiritual gift in the broad sense of the word. He wants to bring this divinely empowered spiritual gift or spiritual benefit to the Romans. In other words, he wanted to go to preach to them to teach them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to pray for them, to disciple them, to help them. He simply wanted to go, he says, to strengthen them, to establish them. He wanted to see the believers in Rome just grow and grow and grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. But also notice that Paul did not see this as some one-way street that we so often view ministry as. Sometimes we think if we're in ministry that we've arrived, that we have all the answers, that we have the title. We do the teaching and preaching, and that's the end of the road. But that wasn't the case for Paul. In verse 12, he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And again, this just adds a new dimension to Paul's thinking here. How do you think it made the Romans feel to hear that the great Apostle Paul himself says, I'm looking forward to seeing you, not just so I can come and teach you all this robust theology and to encourage you, but I want to hear from you. I want to be encouraged by you. I want to be ministered to from or by you. And so ministry is not just this one-way street. It's a two-way street with blessings and encouragement constantly being shared both ways, being shared both ways. He wanted to serve them, but he wants there to be this mutuality to this relationship. And so the heart of ministry is marked by a desire to serve, to sacrificially serve, to use your time, your giftedness for the spiritual benefit of others. And I just want you to note that, that people weren't an interruption to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. People were the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Fourthly, the heart of ministry is also marked by this idea of surrender and submission. And I, I know these can carry different ideas, but I put them together on, intentionally. The heart of ministry is a heart that is surrendered and submitted to the sovereign plan of God. It's a heart that trusts God. When I say this, I say this broadly. It's a heart that speaks to trusting God's timing 
of God's plan. And I want to show you where I find this at. And I think this is very important. Verse 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, just reference that in light of verse 10, or look back at verse 10 there, and I think the point is clear. The longing of Paul's heart is to get to Rome, to see what it is that God has done, to share in it, and by God's grace to advance it, and even to partner possibly with the church in Rome. As we've already stated, this is a good desire, this is a godly desire, but notice that Paul is not laying out the terms to the Lord. He's simply saying, Lord, somehow, by some means, any way you can make it work, but only by your will do I want this. And Paul has apparently prayed this prayer over and over again and has been providentially hindered from it happening. Maybe he's had other things to do, maybe other ministry obligations that have hindered him from getting to Rome. But there's something that is just wonderfully instructive here about the way that he prays. And again, for for everyone in ministry, I want you to capture this. He's saying, Lord, if there is some way of getting me to Rome, find that way, yet God saw fit not to answer this specific request just yet. And I find this interesting for many reasons, and one is just this. Up to this point, if, if God would have answered Paul's request prior to this, we would not have this letter we call the book of Romans in our Bibles. You realize that? We would not have that. He would have just went there and been able to teach. He wouldn't have had the need to write this letter. This letter that we call Romans has altered the scope of human history. Think about the billions and billions of lives that have been touched by Paul's words written here in 57, 58 AD. Think about how your life has been influenced by this letter. Yet this letter that we love and we call the book of Romans was basically birthed out of a seemingly unanswered prayer by the Apostle Paul. Just think about that for a moment. And I think there's a great lesson for all of us here. That there are times where we really desire to do great things for the Lord. Good things, positive things, noble things. Yet sometimes in God's providence, he doesn't make it happen in the exact way or the exact timing that we planned it. And this happens in ministry quite often. But Paul here, he seems to display for us this certain sense of surrender and submission to God's will. There is a trust that he is demonstrating here that is to be desired. The ability to trust God, even when Paul's plans don't necessarily line up with God's plans or his timing. But what we can learn from this is that when this happens, we can see from this example that God is certainly still at work, that he is still using us. His will is still being accomplished. And I think this has to be one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of this principle. The heart of ministry says, God, things may not be working out in the exact way that I planned them, but I am surrendered and I am submitted to your will regardless. And I think this can be applied all across the board, whether it be 
at your job, whether it be at school, whatever it is that you do for the glory of God, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, whatever that may be for you, this is the heart attitude that you need to cultivate. Whatever it may be, I desire to do this, I desire to do that, I desire to serve in this capacity, to teach this lesson, uh, to write this book, or to, to preach this sermon, whatever it may be for you. Maybe things have not worked out exactly the way you have planned it. Nevertheless, the heart that is demonstrated is this. I will be faithful in the meanwhile. And I'm going to serve you, Lord, even in the midst of these seemingly providential hindrances that have come my way. And I'm going to trust you for the results. And when this heart attitude exists, what we often find is that sometimes the answers to our prayers are actually being fulfilled in the midst of what we call our disappointments. And that's exactly what has happened for the Apostle Paul. Keep in mind, Paul did not live long enough for him to see the impact that the book of Romans would have on the scope of human history. He didn't see it. This letter that seemingly was birthed out of this unanswered prayer of Paul. And I hope you find encouragement in that this evening. Wherever you find yourself tonight, however this principle can be applied in your service to the Lord, I just want to state, be, be faithful. Know that God is still at work. You can trust him. And to this point, there's something else to notice here. And that is this, that in time, God actually did answer Paul's prayer to somehow, anyhow, to get him to Rome. And this is vitally important that we capture this. Uh, this account, you don't have to turn there, it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 21 through 28. But in a nutshell, it's this. Paul was preaching and teaching in Jerusalem, doing the things that was probably part of that providential hindrance from keeping him from going to Rome. While he was in Jerusalem, he was arrested and he was beaten. However, because he was a Roman citizen, he made an appeal for his case to be heard by Caesar. And so he was able to be transferred to Rome Notice, not as a traveling evangelist, not as the pastor of this growing, thriving church of Rome, but Paul made it to Rome as he prayed, as a beaten prisoner. Historians tell us that it was in Rome that Paul actually ended up being beheaded by the Emperor Nero. Remember that prayer that he prayed? Somehow, Lord. Some way, somehow, get me to Rome. And God answered Paul's prayer. I hope you guys see the impact of that. That is crucially important. The point is this. God's will, his answers to our prayers often look much different than we could ever script for ourselves or ever imagine for ourselves. Yet what a testimony this was for the believers in Rome who received this letter some 10 years before Paul actually gets there with this commitment of Paul to want to get there. And as they're reading this and they're also witnessing what's going on with Paul, they're thinking, man, he, he really meant it when he prayed that prayer that God would somehow get him here. He really meant it. And again, what a great illustration this is for those of us who pray, Lord, anything, I'll do it. By any way you, you want me to do it, I'll do it. Any time. And really, really mean it.
The spiritual gift that Paul wanted to impart to the church of Rome did not only come in the form of this letter we call the book of Romans, but it actually come in the form of his life, a life that was completely surrendered and submitted to the will of God, even to the point of being beheaded, his death. Charles Spurgeon said, when our hearts are set on a thing and we pray for it, God may grant us the blessing, but it may be in a way that we never look for. He says, you shall go to Rome, Paul, but you're going to go in chains. That's exactly what it was. The heart of ministry requires this type of trust and commitment to the sovereignty of God, his plans, his timing, and his will. Lastly, we see that the heart of Paul's ministry was marked by a sense of obligation and anticipation. Look at verse 14. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. The King James Version translates this as, I'm a debtor. Uh, it, it speaks of this solemn moral obligation that Paul felt in his heart for these people, that he was doing what he did because he felt this holy and sacred obligation to, to go and to preach the gospel to them. He's saying that I want to go to Rome because within me I have this, this obligation to do so. What do you mean this obligation? Well, we, we know that his obligation was to God. God, had given, God has given the gospel Paul was called to be an ambassador of this gospel, to go and proclaim it. And when he says to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, he, he's describing the scope of his ministry. The Greeks were educated people. Paul says, I want to go minister to them. The barbarians, they were uneducated people. We call them barbarians because when they talk, it sounds like bar, bar, bar. I mean, it's just what it sounds like. They were barbaric in nature. Paul says, I want to go to you. I want to minister to you. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, whatever it was, I want to go minister to you. His obligation was simply to preach the gospel everywhere, anywhere, regardless of, of skin color, regardless of cultural distinctions. He says in verse 15, I'm also, I'm so, I, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And this was his eager obligation he would preach the gospel. Yet he also, his obligation was matched with this sense of anticipation. According to verse 13, he wanted to, he says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Notice that Paul, he, he anticipates, he expects his ministry to be fruitful. He expects God to supply the results. This was his calling. This was his desire. This was his obligation. This was his anticipation. When he says that he is eager to preach the gospel, this is the same idea found in verse 11. This is the, the spiritual gift that he wanted to go impart to them, to preach the gospel. Paul wanted to go preach the gospel, and he anticipated that there would be results to follow. When Paul says that he wants to go preach the gospel, don't think of it in terms as we often think of the preaching of the gospel today. We, we have this 
package that we go and present to people and then we walk away as we fulfilled our duty or something like that. If you think of it in that way, you're missing something very valuable in our text. Again, we often think we just go preach the gospel to the lost and we walk away. We give propositions of the gospel to unbelievers. These messages that can be reduced in this simple little tract or something like that. But keep in mind, Paul is writing to believers. He's wanting to go preach the gospel to Christians. That's who he's writing to. The you here is the Christians in Rome. Why would Paul want to go preach the gospel to believers? And it's because Paul understands something that we need to understand this evening. And we'll actually see, or you actually will find, developed further in the book of Romans. And that is this, that the gospel isn't merely a message for unbelievers. It's not just this message that we hear and we embrace at the point of our conversion or something like that, and we move on, we walk away from the gospel. That's not what it is. Paul not only sees the gospel message as a means of our justification or being declared righteous before God, but he also views the gospel as a means of our sanctification, our spiritual growth in Christ. This is the message that we have heard Received. It's the message by which, in which we stand, by which we'll be saved. It's the message that we hold fast to as believers. We are built up in the gospel. And so Paul did not see the message as merely the beginning of the Christian life, but it was the message by which we lived. As we read in verse 16, he will say of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I hope that you, in just going through that text, that you'll see what a wonderful little section of scripture this really is. It's jam-packed with example, with insight, with illustration, with application. And I think we, could, we can kind of just take any of these points, put them in our pocket, and walk away, uh, go home satisfied to some degree. But let me leave you with this, by way of application and things like that. In this text we see the heart of the minister of the gospel. And again, this is a calling that we all have. These are the attitudes and, and the affections that we should all be cultivating. Paul's goal was to get to Rome in order to be a spiritual benefit for the well-being of someone else. This was his heart. This was his desire. This was his passion. His life was marked by this passion to reach out and minister to others, to bring this, this gospel touch to the lives of others. It was General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who said this. He said, some men have a passion for money. He said, some people have a passion for things. And he said, I have a passion for people. And I just think that is a beautiful way, and I think that illustrates what Paul is saying there. It's been said that only two things will last forever. That is the word of God and souls. Everything else will fade away. And so I ask you this week, or for this week, what will you do this week that will last forever? And so I have a, a simple challenge. I was thinking of some way, and I did this with our church as well, just to challenge you as you think about the, the heart of ministry, the the heart that Paul demonstrated. 
And inside your bulletin, if you open that up, I think everyone, did everyone get one already? At least if you don't have a, a bulletin, just pull out a piece of paper. And we're going to take time to do this. If you don't do it, we're going to stand here for a long time in a really awkward silence. But my challenge this evening for you is this week to minister to three people. Three people. And I want you to actually take the time, just take a moment, and just think, whoever the Lord brings to your mind, write down three names. Three names of someone, believer, non-believer, that you're going to take the gospel to. Write these names down. Maybe you've already been thinking about that neighbor or that coworker or that friend, that elderly person that is lonely, whatever it may be. I'm going to ask that you write it down in this moment and commit yourself to these people. And beside their name, write out one way that you can touch that person with the gospel this week. Maybe through a phone call. Maybe by sending a card. Maybe that word of encouragement. Maybe praying with them. Maybe just a visit. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with this person for the first time. So go ahead and write that down. Just take a moment here, write down some names, write out some thoughts that you may have. You can elaborate on this more on your own. But if you don't do it now, you, you'll walk away from here and won't commit to doing it. Just take a moment there. we want to be fruitful people. Whatever it may look like for you to bring the fruit of the gospel to bear on someone's life. As we close, I want to pray that our efforts, our service, our act of worship in this way, this service, will be marked by a gospel-driven gratitude saturated with this persistent prayer for these people, that your service will be sacrificial, that it will be marked by this surrender and submission to the Lord's will as we encounter these people, and there's going to be providential hindrances, there's going to be cancellations, there's going to be all these things that's going to happen, and that we would also have this sense of obligation to bring the gospel yet also this sense of anticipation that God is going to bless our efforts and that we're going to reap some harvest, some spiritual benefit from this. And as you're thinking about these people and as you're thinking about your strategy to, to go after just these three, it could be more, I just want to encourage you to, to, to remind you that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So bring them the affection of Jesus, not the infection, the affection of Jesus Christ. And for the sake of God's glory, and you guys are already doing this. I mean, Revolution Church is, is unique in its care for our community. And if you ever doubt your role in that, 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 that is who Revolution Church, uh, just over the years, uh, your 
whether it's the uh, what is the thing you do on the not free market? What do you call that? Free market things like that. But for the sake of God's glory, may the testimony of Revolution Church be known throughout this city as you seek to bring the touch of the gospel to the lives of others this week. And again, I pray that God will just continue to bless this church, that will bless your efforts, that he would encourage you through this word, through this example. And together, whether it be at Grace Community Church or Revolution, that we, we, we may really see the fruitfulness of the gospel penetrate. We are marked by so many problems, yet we have the message of hope. We have the message of encouragement. We have the message of salvation that is brought through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that end, let's pray for God to bless these names and that we would be marked by these things. Father, again, I am so thankful for your word, your sufficient word, your spirit-breathed word. It comes to us at times in, in, in this section in such obscurity, yet so practical, so helpful to our lives. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of what the heart for ministry looks like. We get caught up in our own efforts, our own agendas, our own plans. And yet tonight we just have the ability to step back and look at the example and the life of, of Paul. Not only was this Paul's example, but we're reminded of our great example, Jesus Christ, who we would see as this great leader, this great king and master, yet we find him bowing down, washing the feet of others. We find his life marked by such humility, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And it's that message, that gospel, that, that, that saturates our heart and motivates us, that gives us this sense of obligation to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as I, I trust that the people here took serious this, this taking three names and committing themselves to just this week of finding ways to minister. I pray in advance for the fruit of that. I don't know how many people's in this room, but when you times it by three, the, the gospel touch of Revolution Church is going to go wide this week. And I'm so excited to hear the results of that and how you're going to use this for the good uh, of, of the spiritual good of the believers, for the gospel advancement yet ultimately for your glory. And so we thank you for this little section of scripture. We thank you for our time together here on this Lord's Day to step back and to consider the example before us. That we would be imitators of Paul as he is an imitator of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name.